The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. God, we thank you for your word. Confession to make to y'all lately. For some reason, I have been looking more and more forward to my day off. Day off is on Wednesday. And I've just noticed in, in the past couple, three weeks, it might be this time of year, maybe. It might be my age showing how I weary faster. Or it might be the way that this leisure-centered culture is affecting me. But I've been looking forward to my day off more than I know is good. More than I know I should. When around Tuesday afternoon, I get this little stir of excitement that rolls around in my stomach like just a few more hours and you'll be there. You'll be at Tuesday night and it'll go into Wednesday. And the other thing I've noticed is that when Wednesday night, the end of my day off rolls around, I feel like this disappointment and sadness that the wished for Wednesday to come true is it's now over and I'm let down and I'm unsatisfied. 
I, I don't confess this to you to say that I don't love my role as a pastor. I truly do. It is a privilege. It is an honor to serve this local body. I'm called to be here, and I love and cherish and enjoy my days on. But I've been asking the question lately, why am I looking forward to this day off? Why is it becoming stronger and stronger in me? And I believe it is because I, and I hope we, I hope I'm not alone in this, live in a world that is constantly looking forward to the next best thing. Believing that looking forward at the next, the new, the notable thing, whether it be a day off or two weeks off, whether it be a new amazing kitchen or a new amazing career or the next amusing TikTok or the next informative Instagram blip, it'll bring relief, it'll bring satisfaction, it'll bring me fulfillment. And guess what happens as I look forward to that next thing? Does it bring fulfillment? It never does. And I want to ask us this question this morning. What if we're looking in the wrong direction? What if looking forward to this or looking forward to that is actually a trap of disappointment? What if instead we were to look back? It's not something most of us like to do. We meet here at Heritage Hill. Okay, It's a place that is dedicated, if you look down the hill, it's dedicated to looking Back. And when my kids are scheduled for a field trip to Heritage Hill, guess what comes out of their mouth? Oh, we gotta go to Heritage Hill. Blah. History. Why? <laughs> because it's in the past, and the past is past, our culture says. But what if the best way, the wisest way to look forward is to secure yourself to what's behind you? What's done rather than all of your lists that remain undone. And Wednesday, I get my list done. What's finished rather than everything in front of you that is yet to be accomplished. Does it sound crazy? Maybe. But it's how the author of the Gospel of Matthew begins his book. By looking back and by encouraging us, put your hope in a desire, in a longing, in a wish which has already come true. What is your greatest wish, desire, or longing today? What is that longing, desire, and wish that is buried deep within all of us? I wish this. I long for this more than anything. I'm guessing it's something along the lines of this. A longing for everything wrong in our life to be made right. The longing for every evil thing to be put out of sight. The longing for every day to be a great day without any darkness of night. Do you want that? Do you wish for that? You're not alone. What you're longing for, what you're looking forward to, what you're wishing is precisely what every first century reader of Matthew longed for. And it's a wish which doesn't come true by just blowing out the birthday candles. The wish for them, the desire for them and for us, would come true in a person. An anointed one. A Messiah. 
a king who would set everything right again. His official name was the Christ. And the first line of Matthew's gospel, a book intended to convince readers there is no need to look any further forward, he begins with this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus the Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. He begins by looking back. And by looking back in three sections of a family tree, I do pray that God would open our eyes to see what is true. That all of our desires have come true by putting our hope in Jesus. What has come true specifically? First, your long wait for relief As you look back, it's over. Secondly, your long-awaited king, he's already come. And third, your long way home, it's arrived at him. First, I want to look at your long wait for relief is over. We're going to break up this genealogy in the same way Matthew does. Starts with a father to a king, then a king to a country far away, and then a faraway country to a Christ. And so let me read again those first, that first section. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Judah, Judah, Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, Hezron. Aminadab, and Aminadab, father of Nashon, Nashon, Salmon, Salmon, Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. We start, Matthew starts with Abraham. Abraham is the father of our faith. His original name was Abram, which means father, means father. And Abram, if you knew his story, it would seem like a cruel joke to be given the name father And be 75 years old with no kids. Not an empty nest at 75. No nest. No children. No future. And God promises in Genesis 12, this childless man, he says, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing In you, Abram, in you, Father, who doesn't have any kids at this point, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, which means shall be happy, shall be satisfied, shall be fulfilled in you, Abram. Abram, a childless man, believes this. He has faith to look forward to what he wishes for, that it's going to come true. What God's saying will come true. Romans 4.21 describes it this way. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And then at 99, when Abram only had one child, God changed his name to Abraham, which means not just father, but like uber father. Father of multitudes. 
to look forward to this blessing that through this one man would come happiness for the entire world. That's what God is saying. And Matthew looks back, shows his hearers everything God had promised to bring from Abraham happiness to the whole world. It's here. Yours and the rest of the world's long wait for relief is here. I was having a conversation this week with a friend who had shared with me tearfully the sadness of a reality that he and his wife, he said, we, we, may, never, we may never have kids of our own. And I saw, I saw in the tears in his eyes like a longing for a future. A future to have little noisy ones running around. A future of taking his boy to a Brewers game. A future of watching his kids graduate from high school. A future of watching his kids have kids so he could be a grandfather. And he's looking forward going, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I want it. I wish for it, I desire it, but I don't think it's going to happen. What can possibly bring relief to a guy who may never be a father? Or to a woman who may never be a mother? The son of Abraham. The Messiah who takes every wrong thing, things like infertility or injustice, and he makes them right again. I want a childless man who looks forward at his future that has possibly no nest to look back at the promise of Abraham come true. No, this doesn't mean that this guy in doing this by looking back with faith may have kids one day. But it does mean that this man is putting his hope for satisfaction in the God who is able to make infertility and injustice come untrue. Where are you longing for relief and looking forward? Looking forward to the doctors finally finding the right mix of meds to make your suffering cease. Looking forward to the day when you'll be the parent you want to be. Or looking forward to when your kids will be the kids you raise them to be. Looking forward to the time when those detours that seem to keep taking your life off of course would finally become a straight road. Look no further. Just look back. The son of Abraham is the great physician who has for you a resurrected body. The son of Abraham came from the only perfect parent's love, the love of a father in heaven. The son of Abraham came from this crooked path of detoured people. If you do some history about all of these people, it is not glorious, it is not glamorous, but that's where he came from. A crooked path of detoured people. Looking back means believing all the promises for relief have come true. And for those who are old like me, the old ad, how do you spell relief? M-E-S-S-I-A-H, Messiah. Your long wait for relief is over. Why? Because your long-awaited king, secondly, he's already come. Look with me at the second part of this genealogy. And David, the king, was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, Abijah. 
and Abijah, Asaph, and Asaph, Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, Joram, and Joram, Uzziah, and Uzziah, Jotham, and Jotham, Ahaz, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Manasseh, Amos, Amos, Josiah, Josiah, Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. We began with a father. Now we find ourselves at a marker of a king, King David. What did David have anything to do with the people's longing for relief, the longing for Messiah? Everything. Because a king brought security to a people. He gave them a sense that they were going to be okay, they were going to be safe, they were going to be provided for, they were going to be protected. And David, for the readers of Matthew's gospel, was not only the king they looked back on with the fondest of memories, he was also the keeper of another one of God's promises, which you heard read this morning. Similar to the one given to Abraham, David, along with the people of God, were given a promise by God that from David would come a son that would have a new kingdom which would never end. 2 Samuel 7, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The people of God were banking on God's promises because their nation, their Jewish nation was constantly under attack constantly crumbling, constantly experiencing persecution and the threat of elimination. So this promise given to David that there's going to be a king to come to reign over God's people forever was what they were hoping for. I want to make uh, a promise for you, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep it. But I will try my best this year not to make every week a sermon illustration about our upcoming election. But friends, like, this is where we live. We live in a country that is longing for Messiah. That is looking forward to a king-like figure to bring us security. Someone to bring order and peace to this chaos. Someone to maintain an economy that allows people not only to survive, but thrive. And the kings and the leaders that we look for, we either want them to look like us and think like us. But when we don't, we're left angered and disappointed, frustrated, and hoping the next one's a charm. <laughs> Friends, can I encourage you, quit looking forward. The king has already come 2,000 plus years ago. And guess what? He looked like us. But oh, he did not think like us. He didn't think that being God was a thing he had to grasp through polls and politicking. No, he came to bring security through his sacrifice. He didn't put an end to taxes. He put an end to sin and to death. And he is ruling and reigning over the heavens and the earth Right now, look back at your king who is ruling now. He's not one who was elected by the people. No, he was crucified by the people. But he was chosen by God. And God put a campaign sign written above his thorn-crowned head that said, This is the king of the Jews. Matthew ends 
the genealogy in verse 17 with an interesting formula. I want to read it, verse 17, to you because it's, it's a little confusing. What's he talking about? So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14. David to Babylon, 14. The deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14. Like I mentioned last week, Matthew is probably the tax collector. He's an accountant type. He likes numbers. He likes grouping things together and categorizing them by GLs. Okay? And he takes his three sections of generations, and what does he do? He adds them up. 14 plus 14 plus 14. Many theories as to what he's doing here, but there's two front runners that I think bear mentioning. The first is the number 14. Matthew might be using what's called gematria, which is the Hebrew practice of assigning a number value to each letter of a word. And in Jewish culture, it was known that 14 was the distinct number for David. 14 was David. Dalit, 4, plus Vav, 6, plus Dalit, 4, equals 14. David. So when you see all these 14s, king, king, king. Add it up. Yeah, here is your king. Here is your king. Here is your king, the writer is saying. He even intentionally skips some generations of unrepentant, awful kings in this list. The other theory, which I'm probably, I lean a little bit more toward, is the theory of double sevens. What do you know sevens in scripture to be a number marking? Perfection, completion, fullness, fulfillment. God finished the world in how many days? Six days of work and a seventh day of rest. Seven. And the lineage is it's three sets of 14, but it's actually six groups of seven. Which leads to what? Six groups of seven leads to a seventh seven. Fulfillment. Rest. Finish. Jesus, the King, the Christ, is the finished work of God's salvation. What does this looking back, friends, mean for us? It means your King has come and done everything for you. All you are called to do is rest in his finished work. Look back to the cross and hear him saying, this is for you. Rest in this. When I'm talking about looking back, you might say, I, I, I can't. I don't, I don't want to look back. There's too much awfulness, pain, stuff back there that I don't want to see. I maybe did some awful, horrible things I don't want to see. I maybe had some awful, sinful things done to me. I don't want to look back. But good news. When you think about those places... Those past places, good news. Your king and his cross was already there. In all those places you want to forget. He was there to forgive you before you even sinned. He was there to heal you before you were even hurt. 
What were the words Jesus, the King, the Christ, the Messiah, spoke on the cross just before he rested on the seventh day in the tomb? It is finished. The saving work of God is done. Your long wait for relief, it's over. Your long-awaited king, he's already come. The, this is the, the thing that's so amazing about what Matthew's saying here. Is the end times that so many Christians get bent out of shape about, the end times actually began 2,000 plus years ago. It's end. It's done. This is the end times. We live in the end times. And it started 2,000 years ago. It's end. Finished. God's finished. Your long-awaited king, he's come. And lastly, your long way home arrives at him. Let's read the last section. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Abihud, Abihud, Eliakim, Eliakim, Azor, Azor, Zadok, Zadok, Achim, Achim, Eliad, Eliad, Eleazar, Eleazar, Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Matthew's last set of 14 it's really, if you know your, your Bible well, you don't know these names well. It's a lot of forgotten people that lived in a faraway place. That place was Babylon. That place was exile. The people of God, in their attempt to look forward to any king to trust in, put their trust not in God, but in an earthly, sneaky, self-seeking king. And it got them deported out into obscurity, into the long way home. So the names are mostly names you don't recognize. But in all of their foreignness, you hear whispers of a long way and a longing to get back home, to return back to the way things were. The language, it almost gets monotonous as you hear, he was the father of, 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 until the cadence is changed with this, he was the husband of Mary. The fifth woman mentioned in this genealogy. The woman who the writer later in the next few verses will describe as a virgin. Someone who did not receive the seed of a man, but who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you see in the verb tense that is used about Jesus, Jesus, by whom was born Jesus, was born the first few, all of those lists of fathers, it's active, was the father, the father, the father, the father. But by whom was born, it's passive. It's called a divine passive. It's coming from outside of human reason, human logic, and human means. This new kingdom, this new home, this blessing for the whole world would not come from any of these guys, but from heaven, from God alone. And the clues that Matthew gives for this are nestled in this genealogy, in his references to the women that are included. So let's think about some of the commonalities to these women that are included. One commonality of, across all of them is they're all Gentiles. The promise 
that this isn't just for the Jews. This is for the whole world. All these women are Gentiles. The other thing is all these women are involved in some kind of sin. This is for the world and this is for sinners. But I think more than that, what the writer Matthew wants us to see is that all of these women conceived children became part of the lineage of the king and the Messiah in a really weird way, really strange way. Tamar, in Genesis 38, if you remember her story, you might not, just quickly summarize it to you. She poses, she poses as a prostitute so that her father-in-law, whose sons had no interest in giving her a kid, poses as a prostitute so that her, her father-in-law comes and pays for her, pays money to sleep with her, and she conceives. That's not normal. It's not normal. And Rahab in Joshua 6, another prostitute, feared God and gave a hiding place to the Israelite spies who were scoping out Jericho in exchange for her and her family being preserved. This prostitute became part of the lineage of Jesus. Strange. Ruth, another foreigner, found a home with her mother-in-law and creatively made her way into Boaz's life by laying down at his feet. She, she kind of made her way into Boaz's life, like very aggressively, forcefully, like Ruth's like, I'm yours. Very uncommon. And then King David, in 2 Samuel, married the wife of another man, Uriah, a dead man that he murdered so that he could get Bathsheba pregnant. And eventually she gave birth to King Solomon. <laughs> See the unexpected and curious way in which the Lord makes for his people through these women a place of security and of home. And I want you to look back on this strange path and compare it to the weird path that you are on right now. Maybe you are asking, why in the world is this happening to me? I'm sure these women, including Mary, were asking the same questions. When we look back, though, we can see that this weird, curious, unexpected path has a king, a Christ at the end of it. Where are you questioning the long way that God has you on today? You ever done this? Have you ever looked back on your life and seen its twists and turns? I'm guessing that you can look at some of those twists and turns and you go, it makes sense now why God did that. And as we look back at the beginning of Matthew, we see that the long way always ends with the home of Christ. Maybe you're spending way too much time looking forward and trying to figure out, how's this story going to end? But see that all these detours and unexpected turns that you're on, they have purpose. Look back and see how a virgin became the mother of the Christ. How does that happen? How an obscure carpenter's son from all places, like Nazareth, was the Christ, the Son of God. And how the rightful king who came from the line of David was enthroned, not on a big throne in Jerusalem, but on a cross. How in the world? And how a cross made a way to an empty tomb where he was resurrected. How in the world? 
How the son of Abraham and the son of David then adopted 11 misfit disciples to plant his church. And they succeeded. How in the world? And how crooked generation after crooked generation to where we are now has made its way to multiplying and blessing and making happy the entire world with the relief that we find in Jesus. He is the Christ. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. Look back. Every longing, desire, and wish you could ever have has come true in him. Put all of your hope in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the promise that it displays for us. The promise that has come true in Jesus. That we no longer need to long for Messiah. Messiah has come and was born. Was given to us by you, by your Holy Spirit. He was conceived by the Virgin Mary. He was born and he became man. And he was crucified under a tyrant leader. He suffered, he died, but then he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures that it is finished. And help us today in 2024 as we go on all these detours and ask all these questions of what are you doing here? Let us look back at the promise that is fulfilled in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.